The company Skynet Labs provides an open protocol for hosting data and web applications on the decentralized web. Skynet allows for decentralized, censorship-resistant, highly redundant storage and applications that are available around the globe. Developers don't pay for their application storage. They can launch apps with access to a user's data right away, and they're free from corporations pulling access to their resources. They can maintain failover sites for when their primary site goes down. For users, you take your data with you without any corporate oversight, support developers and content creators by simply accessing their work, experience a web free of targeted ads, and never have to put your privacy or security at risk. Skynet is built on top of the SIA blockchain network, which is open source and guided by the SIA Foundation. In this episode, we talk with Matthew Seavey, Engineering Director at Skynet Labs. Before joining Skynet, Matthew was a project manager at Procter & Gamble and a web development fellow at Startup Institute before that. We discussed the decentralized internet, the SIA blockchain network, and Skynet's mission to build a better and more equitable ecosystem. A few announcements before we get started. One, if you like Clubhouse, subscribe to the Club for Software Daily on Clubhouse. It's just Software Daily, and we'll be doing some interesting Clubhouse sessions within the next few weeks. Uh, and two, if you are looking for a job, we are hiring a variety of roles. We're looking for a social media manager, we're looking for a graphic designer, and we're looking for writers. If you are interested in contributing content to Software Engineering Daily, or even if you're a podcaster and you're curious about how to get involved, we are looking for people with interesting backgrounds who can contribute to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, Again, mostly we're looking for social media help and design help, but if you're a writer or a podcaster, we'd also love to hear from you. You can send me an email with your resume, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. That's jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You work on Skynet, and I want to get into what Skynet is, but first I'd like to talk about the idea of a decentralized internet. We've done several shows on this topic. We've done a bunch of Ethereum shows, did a show about Definity, plenty of IPFS coverage. So those are the infrastructure pieces I know of about decentralized internet. Give me an overview for how the concept of the decentralized internet has evolved over the last five years. Yeah, so some of the projects that you talk about are, so if I take a step back, we as a company first were working on SIA, the Decentralized Data Storage Network, and that really is more of a comparison to some of the projects you talked about in terms of IPFS and Filecoin and really offering you know, decentralized data storage as a foundational piece of infrastructure for a decentralized internet. About a year ago, we released a feature set on top of SIA, which is what we called Skynet. And that was the first time that, you know, we were able to really provide a new type of feature set to users and really create this whole new web ecosystem for applications and users. And so, you know, we we kind of view Skynet pretty pretty unique in in that way. Um, we don't or none of the projects that we know of in the space can offer what Skynet can offer right now. And something that I'm personally super excited about in terms of in terms of this evolution of the technology is that 
before with Saya and other you know decentralized data storage platforms, there was still a really big technical hurdle for users to kind of use the use the platform directly or kind of get that benefit directly. So like examples on Saya would be if you as a user wanted to store data on Saya, you still had to run your own Saya node, which requires a certain level of kind of technical understanding to, you know, know how to run it properly and maintain it. Or you would go through a third party company like Filebase, for example, is one of the projects that's built on top of Saya that offers nice kind of S3 compatible storage on the Saya network. And, you know, those are both great options. And, you know, what Filebase offers is really great. But it's still it's a it's a, an abstraction that, you know, some of the benefits of Saya get kind of lost as soon as you have to rely on that third party layer, because you're ultimately having to kind of, you know, trust your your data to this platform. So when we released the feature set that has become Skynet, it kind of took that technology to the next stage of providing a way for users to get the benefit of a decentralized data storage network in the web context and that users can truly own their data as they're surfing around the web and at the same time not have to worry about running their own node and kind of so they get the benefit without the kind of technical hurdle of of getting into things and so the vast majority of users of Skynet never even have to worry about blockchain or cryptocurrencies or you know any of that kind of more technical or kind of new new terminology that a lot of people don't quite don't quite understand or don't know how they feel about so it is it where it allows anybody to really gain the benefits of you know decentralized internet without having to jump through any technical hurdles or you know, any long learning curves to kind of understand how to achieve that. Can you give me a little bit more of a description for what Saya offered at launch? Sure. So starting off, Saya was a decentralized data storage platform. So the idea being that users could run their own. So either a host could join the network or and offer free disk capacity or a renter could join the network and use that excess disk capacity. So kind of, you know, like Airbnb created an open marketplace for the exchange of physical space between renters and hosts, Saya created an open marketplace for renters and hosts to exchange digital space. And along with that, so basically giving giving users the scalability of the cloud while maintaining control of their data. And so if a renter uploads their data to the network, it's encrypted client side. So anything on the network is encrypted and it's erasure coded. So it's, which is a, and split across multiple hosts. So increasing the reliability and redundancy of their data and giving that all to users directly. So they don't have to go through cloud providers. And additionally, it kind of gives that benefits to hosts in that, you know, right now, if you're trying to get into the hosting space and trying to offer storage capacity to users, you know, you have to provide enough storage for all of your users' data. And with Saya on the hosting side, it kind of brings that barrier down to allow any host of pretty much any size to start offering storage to the network. So, you know, a host could start with, you know, four terabytes of storage capacity. 
if you only had four terabytes of storage capacity, like you could not start your own like cloud providing service. You know, that's you know not even close to the amount of data that you would actually need. But on Saya, you know, a little kind of one person shop can you know start with four terabytes of storage, start earning money off of those four terabytes, and slowly start building out their capacity and adding it to the Saya network. And so, really creating that open kind of open market for data storage and giving more power to the individual renter as well as the individual host and making it more kind of equitable ecosystem. How did SIA differ from IPFS? One of the big things that differentiated us was the incentives for the network. And so the right now on IPFS, there's no incentives for nodes to pin content. It's kind of just a faith-based pinning and they pin popular content because people are interested in it, but there's no guarantee that, you know, if I upload a video of my dog, that someone is going to care enough to keep pinning that on the IPFS network, where on SIA, everything is economically incentivized and economically backed. So hosts are getting paid for every byte of storage that they have. So they're economically incentivized to keep storing that data for as long as I care to store it. And so the it just makes it, it I mean, additionally, it, SIA has from kind of day day one, it was always a focus on being a live production network and and kind of jumping past that stage of having kind of like a test kind of development network for kind of hackathons and projects. And so the SIA network always prioritized being production ready, production first, and economically incentivized to really support data being stored long term and really, you know, making sure that if someone uploads a photo or file today, if they keep paying for that storage, that storage is going to be there for as long as they need it. So the obvious, well, I guess the, you know, the the component that goes along with with storage is you obviously need compute also. So storage and compute for you know a true, fully functional application. So does the Cyan network also handle the compute side of things, or is it just the storage? So Cyan is just the storage, and that's one of the powerful things about how we released Skynet is that it. It changes the paradigm of how people think about cloud-based applications. And so, as you said, when you when someone today thinks about building a cloud-based application on the web, they're going to think about, okay, where do I store my data, and how do I have servers to do all this compute to you know crunch all these numbers to like you know serve all these millions of users. With Skynet, it turns that paradigm on its head a little bit in that you only we only have to solve the problem of storage and all the applications are completely client side in the user's browser and so the compute is passed off to the client which then solves a huge amount of infrastructure questions for developers when they're building applications and so you know we we view skynet really as a a really powerful platform for developers for that reason and that you know a developer today if they wanted to build a web application you know they got to figure out how they what they want to build and then they got to figure out where they're going to host it and pay for the infrastructure that's going to scale as their application scales with users with skynet a developer can build an application, deploy it on Skynet, and they're done. They don't have to worry about infrastructure ever again. And because the application is always loaded and handled on the client-side browser, 
if you are serving, if you have a Skynet application that serves 100 million users, that's just 100 million browsers that are open and there's no compute load to the network. And it's just a uh, storage, decentralized storage network at that point. How does the performance of decentralized storage compare to typical centralized storage like S3? Pretty good, actually. So for we are getting or kind of building out our tooling around performance management and kind of getting more data on like how our network is providing. But in terms of like time to first byte, for example, we see, you know, sub we can see sub 50 millisecond response times, kind of the P999 statistics is around 200 milliseconds. And so for a lot of the times, it's it's very comparable for and, you know, really at that point, not a performance limitation for in terms of choosing, you know, should I go with a centralized service versus Skynet? Can you walk me through a read and a write to Skynet? Sure. So there's a, I'll kind of step back a minute and kind of give some context. So when we talk about nodes on the network for Skynet called portals, so it's kind of like that's how you access the Skynet network. And when a file is uploaded to Skynet, we have we call it a sky file and that file is immutable and you get a sky link back. And so that's one type of reading and writing to the network, but immutable data is great for some things, but all, but also not great for other things. And so for a more mutable data, we use something that's called, we call the registry, which is a key value store on all the hosts on uh, the network. And so, so I'll kind of walk through both of those examples. And so Currently today, the most people will access Skynet through our public web portal, which is SciSky.net. Skynet is still very decentralized in the sense that the hardware requirements to run a portal are low enough that anyone could run a portal on their laptop. So if they if they're the type of user that is willing to kind of get into the weeds of like how to run a portal, they can still run the portal on their website and they don't have to rely on our public web portals to access Skynet. But we want to be able to offer that for the users that don't want to have to worry about uh, dealing with portals. So when a user uploads a file to SciSky.net or does it through a Skynet application, that data will be uploaded by our portal to the Sci network. And so kind of the specifics around that is it's right now the files are broken into four megabyte sectors. And so for a small file, so anything less than four megabytes, it's going to be kind of uploaded with 10x redundancy. So there's going to be 10 four megabyte sectors that get uploaded to 10 hosts on the on the SIA network. So any any small file is going to be at that 10x redundancy. For larger files, so files larger than four megabytes, we get some kind of efficiency by uh, using a 10 of 20 or 10 of 30 erasure coding scheme. So we, for the kind of over uh, four megabyte sector size. So it's a three, three X redundancy, but spread across 30 hosts. So you get a lot more reliability from that standpoint. So you can upload it through a portal like that when, and that data is then available to any other portal immediately. So like I said, someone could be running a portal on their laptop and 
if they had uploaded a file through our public web portal, they get a Skylink back and they could take that Skylink and put it and download it through their portal on their laptop and vice versa. If they uploaded a file on their laptop through their personal portal, they could share that Skylink with somebody else and that person could download it through our public web portal. So that is where we kind of talk about our immutable global data layer where anything uploaded through any portal is immediately accessible through any other portal. And with no kind of propagation time, it's just, it's just immediate, as soon as it hits the network, any other portal can access it. And so that's kind of the data flow of a simple kind of uploading a sky file and downloading a sky file. And then I had talked about the, the registry aspect of it. And so through the, uh, in our SDK that we offer for developers, we talk about it as SkyDB. So kind of a database on Skynet. And what it's doing is storing kind of a key value pair of basically that Skylink in that key value store on the host. So it allows for updating the file that that registry entry is, is pointing to so that, and mostly how people are using that is, is using it, the file that gets uploaded is a JSON kind of metadata file. So if you wanted to upload a profile information about someone, for example, that might change over time. So you want that to be mutable. So every time you would edit that file, it would update that registry entry so that when applications are pulling the latest information about a user, they're getting that latest profile information. Does that help kind of clear things up or does that bring up some more questions? <laughs> it does uh, do both of those. So talking a little bit more about, about usability, like I assume that there's, you know, if I'm writing this data to servers that are distributed around the world, is my data encrypted on these different servers? Great question. So it can be or can be cannot be. So that kind of gets us into the idea of one of the latest feature sets that we've released that we call MySky, and it's our how we handle identity on Skynet. And so when someone creates a MySky profile, they have a seed that's generated with that generates their public and private keys for reading and writing data from the registry. And what MySky enables is this concept of almost like a global file system. So a user has one MySky account and they any application can then use that MySky account to get information or store information about that user. And so I kind of had mentioned the idea of a, a global file system. And so so my sky will be able to basically have public files and hidden files for a user. And those files can then be, you know, encrypted client side if, if, if they need to be. So public files would be, you know, files that the user is fine with any application immediately being able to read in order to kind of give them the user experience that they want on that application. So this would be things like if they, are visiting a social media site on Skynet. So like a Twitter style application, they did a bunch of posts and they have a bunch of comments and likes and they have followers and they have people that follow them. That's all the type of information that would be public files of the user that they would want another type of social media platform on Skynet to also see. So they go to, so we actually have an application called Skyfeed, which is uh, an, a community member had developed, which is kind of that Twitter style application. So if I posted a bunch of stuff to Skyfeed and then someone comes out with Skynetgram, which is a, actually another project that someone just did for a hackathon. If I go to Skynetgram, they should be able to pull those posts that I just made on Skyfeed 
that, you know, have pictures and, you know, have comments. So if I, if there are people that I follow on Skyfeed, I'll immediately be able to see them on Skynetgram because that's all part of my public kind of files that I let applications see. And then additionally, you might have files that like a diary, for example, if you keep, you know, notes about things that you want to be kept private, that can be stored in your hidden files. And so only applications that you would give access to would be able to see that application. And because users are logged in with their MySky account, which has a secure seed and public and private keys, only that user with those public and private keys can access the data associated with their MySky login. All right. And uh, another question around usability. So can I mount a database on this kind of storage? Yeah, so another community member <laughs> is uh, actually working on uh, Sky SQL, so basically an SQL light esque database on top of Skynet. And I can share that link to that GitHub repo with you kind of after the notes if, if people are interested in checking that out on, on the show notes. But yeah, people are, are looking at how to build that type of database style access onto Skynet um, that they're used to kind of locally. But I guess today you're you're more focused on just the the more basic like blob storage usage. Yeah, a lot of what we are building and offering through our SDK specifically is is that kind of SkyDB data tool set that is that key value store um, for users' information, um, and a lot of that being kind of JSON metadata uh, right now, since that's kind of a you know standard format for a lot of data on the web and you know, because there's a lot that you can do with that because because Skynet shifts the paradigm of, of how people are thinking about applications and the application is, mo- you know, very much now kind of single user focused more than it was before. You know, a lot of the solutions that people might just immediately go and throw a bunch of information into a database in the past, there, you know, we're learning new ways to kind of solve those problems in the Skynet context. What are some of the hardest engineering problems you've encountered when building Skynet? I think some of the biggest challenges that we're, we're hitting right now is really kind of pushing these new paradigms of, of application design. So the when I talked about MySky, MySky is something that we call a DAC or a data access controller. And so because users have their data publicly available to all applications, we want to be able to make sure that any developer can develop on Skynet and that we also are supporting like a new developer or any developer from creating a bug in their application that would then corrupt the user's data and impact other Skynet applications, right? So there's a there's a nice there's a, a tricky balance there. And so these data access controllers is kind of our solution for that problem. And there, you know, we're using a lot of kind of iframes and web worker API to offer these types of solutions. So these these uh, DACs are kind of mini applications within Skynet that other applications and developers can use to build their application. So MySky is the like identity DAC that applications can now use to authenticate the user to make sure that they're logged in. I talked about Skyfeed and so that kind of Twitter style application. So that developer has developed a feed DAC. So if other applications want to use 
have a say a feed in their application for like posts and comments and things they can use the feed deck to make sure that they are writing content the same way that other applications are and then reading content the same way that other applications are and that's really all to one it makes the developer's life easier but it also then makes the user's experience a lot more consistent across skynet and that's really a, a new new paradigm and a new type of technology that you know we're offering people and so there's just a lot of a lot of learnings <laughs> that we're having with that and each week we are learning things that make the decisions that we made last week seem seem almost relevant you know and so it's just that kind of pushing the boundaries of how people are developing applications on the web and and really learn learning as we go in that sense so if i need to build an application I'm going to need, like, typically not just disk-style storage, but also, like, caching, like, in-memory-style caching storage. Are you working on anything in that that domain, like a shared memory, decentralized kind of caching thing, or is that kind of out of the scope of what you're working on? I think that would be out of the scope of what we're working on for right now. There's... Yeah, in terms of some of that caching layer, yeah, it's understanding what's the problem that the developers are trying to solve and how they used to solve that in the past and how it makes sense to solve that on Skynet. And so instead of planning out our roadmap from a feature set to think about how do we one-for-one replicate what people can do on the centralized web, you know, we we see something that we've created as a totally new ecosystem and a totally new way for developers to make applications that's going to give users a totally new experience on the web. And with that, you know, we are, you know, pushing out new features as we are learning how people are using the ecosystem and kind of using that as a, a gauge of what are people interested in building? How are they thinking about building it? How does it make sense to build that on Skynet and what's the right solution for that? And really kind of taking that approach to have the ecosystem and the tooling set really evolve together. You know, we obviously have our views of what Skynet can do and what Skynet can offer. And, you know, we are encouraging users to kind of think to that future state and, you know, doing that through various hackathons where we highlight different feature sets that we've released and um, encourage the user and, and so we're really excited about the way that the ecosystem and our tooling is, is evolving together and, and kind of pushing, you know, each other to get to where we want to go. You've spent time working at more traditional companies, and I'd like to know, like, how do you think software engineering at a normal, like centralized style company how does it compare to a to a decentralized company? So I actually, my previous career was in mechanical and process engineering, and so when I switched into the software space, I've I basically found what was then Nebulous and now Skynet Labs, kind of with that transition. So I actually have only worked at <laughs> a decentralized kind of startup company. In my past experience of working in more traditional company was more in the process engineering kind of manufacturing realm. Can I ask you to theorize then? (laughs) Sure. 
I think it's so something that we are excited about, you know, because we see Skynet as a new ecosystem for a decentralized internet and decentralized, you know, application development, taking that same ethos of decentralization, giving power back to users is Skynet giving power back to developers and allowing developers to build out these really powerful, really unique applications without having to build out these monolithic companies at the same time. And one of the things that I'm kind of specifically thinking about as I say that is, you know, today, if someone wants to build a new social media platform, they have to get over the same network effect hurdles that every other social media platform had to get over. So, you know, they have to grow a huge, they have to, you know, get that network base that encourages other users to join the platform. And, you know, it's a huge kind of hustle in the beginning to kind of get that user base going. I think a lot of that work really drives the these software companies kind of ballooning up in size because they need a huge marketing team or they need a huge sales team. They need to like, you know, put all this effort and time and money into building a network. On Skynet, because a, a nice side effect of it being user-centered and a user owning their data and a user being able to go from application to application is that the Sci ecosystem has one network effect as a whole. So as the network effect and as SIA and Skynet or as Skynet grows, every application benefits from that. So say, say the application that really tips the scales for Skynet is a meme generator. <laughs> you know, people get super psyched up about generating these memes. It just, you know, hits the right tone. And, and then, you know, there's hundreds of millions of people on Skynet. Any new application that joins Skynet now has access to all of those users and all of those users are already on the Skynet ecosystem and they can go over to this new application and any data that they have accumulated that relates to this new application is immediately usable and viewable by that application and by that user. And it doesn't require any other users to even use the application. So a great example being, we go back to the Twitter style application say there's one Twitter style application on Skynet that explodes, everybody loves it, and lots of everyone is using it. And then it starts kind of taking a turn from a, a UX perspective that somebody doesn't like. They're like, oh, I don't like how they're changing the fonts. I don't like how they're changing the layout of things. I'm going to make a new application, same style, but I'm going to change the UX and you know focus on different things and, and you know whatever uh, the changes may be. One user could go over to that new platform or not that new platform, that new application, and they would be able to interact with that with all the other users that are on the other Twitter. And so they don't need to be on the same Skynet application to interact with each other. And I think that is something that is super powerful and allows for an application to be incredibly powerful and, and have a huge audience and also at the same time be manageable by like a team of you know, one, two, five engineers. And, you know, it, it enables, you know, creative minds and passionate developers to really, you know, push out a production ready application and 
you know, forget about all of the challenges that go along with scaling an application when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to, you know, n network effect and all those other things. Can you tell me about the different infrastructure pieces that go into Skynet? And I'd love to know about programming language decisions, framework decisions, uh, just general engineering, engineering decisions and software architecture. Sure. So I'll start with, I guess I'll start with SIA because that's where, that's where we started. So the SIA network, we have, I kind of talked about the renters and the hosts and the different nodes on the network. And we programmed the SIA network in Golang. Um, so it's a hundred, basically a hundred percent Golang. And, you know, that's something that our founders uh, made that choice early on. And it's really proven to be a really time and again, a really uh, beneficial choice for us in terms of the performance of Go and the tooling around Go and, and really how it works for this peer-to-peer -peer network. And and so the portals and kind of what we call the Skynet daemon or SkyD. So that is a Golang project, a Golang product. And on top of that Skynet daemon, so if, if someone wants to run a portal on their own machine, all they need is the, is the Skynet daemon. So they can download the binaries from our GitLab or our, or our website and run the binary, run the portal on their machine, be able to upload and download and view content in their browser locally, and that would be all that they need. When we go to kind of the web and the web portals and the tooling for developers, that's where we get into more of the web languages in terms of we, our main focus from an SDK standpoint and a tooling standpoint is uh, JavaScript SDK. Um, and we write that in, in TypeScript for uh, the benefits of um, type safety. And, and, you know, JavaScript allows us to take advantage of all of the uh, you know, Mozilla API tooling. And, you know, if we're going to build a powerful web application, you know, JavaScript's the, the language of choice. And so the web portal is another open source repo that we have. So anyone that wants to offer their own web portal can run it. And it's a, a number of Docker services that kind of comprise the web portal. Um, one of the Docker services being SkyD. And then we have various other applications to help build the the kind of website of Skynet. So we have our own homepage, SkySky.net, but we also have uh, we had a kind of a landing page that we'd originally produced for for people that they can. So they if they want to run a web portal, they have kind of their own like web page ready to go as well. So like moving into the SDK, which is where a lot of the kind of power of Skynet comes from, and, and for application developers. So when you go to Skynet or you go to an application on Skynet, most of the time you're going, if you're going to download a Sky file and just a Sky link, you would see SciSky.net slash the 46 byte uh, Sky link. And that's going to download or render the, the Sky file that you, you had. But because I said Sky files are immutable and the Sky links are immutable, that doesn't work well for application development, right? Because if every time you make an update to your application, that would mean when you upload that application to Skynet, it's a different Sky link. And that's, you know, that's no good. You got to then point people to your new Skylink. And so the solution that we had for that was partnering with a project in the space, uh, Handshake or Namebase. And so Namebase has a platform on top of the Handshake protocol. And so with decentralized domain, 
And so we've built Handshake into our Skynet portals. So you can buy a Handshake domain and then set it up to point to your application. And so when you go to, I've kind of had mentioned a few names of applications that are built on Skynet today, like Skyfeed. To go to Skyfeed, you'd go to skyfeed.hns.sciasky.net. And that's going to be the static URL that you can always go to. And so as the developer of, of Skyfeed updates their application, they can update the record settings of the Handshake domain. And so their application gets updated and users don't have to change their link. So that was a, a really great partnership for us in terms of being able to have a really great solution to that problem or the challenge of Sky files being and Skylinks being static and obviously applications changing all the time. And so when we get into you know, the SDK, we have a lot of, I kind of mentioned some of the tooling around. There's obviously the basic upload and download features. There's the SkyDB tool set, which is uh, kind of the key value store of how we're handling dynamic data. And then now this concept of DAX and data access controllers. And so MySky is part of our S, uh, JavaScript SDK that we offer. And so that's built-in tooling. And you would actually access that by... So there's a my you know MySky DAC is hosted at mysky.hns.sysky.net. And so, you know, it it is a you know application kind of living in Skynet to service other Skynet applications. And same thing with a the profile DAC. So the DAC that manages the profile information of a user, like their avatar, their first name, their last name, their contact information, their social uh, profiles, like that's all can be found at profile hns.sciasguide.net. And so, you know, there's a, we're super excited about kind of how that is progressing and the types of architecture that our developer ecosystem is helping us to face and solve challenges for and kind of build out as we go. So that was kind of like a relatively high level, you know, summary of, of, of what the stack and some of the components are happy to kind of answer some specific questions within there, if you have any. Maybe we can dive a little bit deeper into what happens when I spin up a a node, a Skynet node on my server. Sure. In terms of like what the cert, like what the node is doing or what you can do with the node? Can you Exactly. Like well, just what it what it does when it when it boots up and like allocates and what kind of processes it starts it starts to run to communicate with the overall network. So the SkyD daemon is is the main portal piece of software and and that is the node that's on the decentralized side network. And so when that when we start up a, a portal, um, it's going to sync the SIA blockchain so it's up to date. It's going to um, and once it's synced, we can then start forming contracts and file contracts. And so file contracts are, are one of the core things that makes the SIA network unique. And it's their, you know, the smart contract that the SIA network uses for kind of proof of storage of hosts and between hosts and renters. And there's state channels that also support the payments between the hosts and the renters. So I can get more into detail on that in just a minute. So if I back up, so when... So after the portal is launched, it's a, a recognized node on the network, get is synced to the blockchain, we can then 
the portal can start forming contracts with hosts. And so it, it's, we allocate what we call an allowance. So basically saying, this is how much money we're willing to spend each contract period, a standard contract period being three months. And so the every three months, the contracts with your hosts renew. And so it allows, which is beneficial for both the host and the renter in terms of you know, it keeps the contracts fresh with the hosts, so the hosts aren't being burdened with super long contracts with renters that might not be using it. But similarly, the the renter is is constantly at the end of contract periods is challenging the host and making sure that they're actually storing the data and moving, kind of renewing with the host that they see is as good. And so when it forms contracts, it will form end up forming contracts actually with every host on the network. And the reason it does that is to create uh, payment channel between all the hosts in the network. And so previously I had mentioned that any content uploaded through one Skynet portal is available to any other Skynet portal. And that is due to the fact that all, all portals are connected, connected with all hosts. And so if a, a portal itself did not upload the data, it can send that request to access the data to all the hosts on the network through those file contracts. And for a portal that is uploading data and downloading data and and you know servicing users every byte that is transferred is is paid for and that's that economic incentive that we had also talked about earlier on and all of that gets recorded in the file contracts and so anytime a renter sends new data to a host the host accepts it they update the kind of re- revision of the file contract and record the new payment of the file contract and that information is saved to disk on both the renters and the host, and that revision number helps to keep them in sync. And the reason it's it's saved uh, to disk and all that payment information is stored um, in the file contract, it allows for us to not bloat the SIA network and the SIA blockchain with all these microtransactions of you know small transfers of data, with whether it's upload, download, or kind of lookup requests. And so each file contract is just two transactions on the network, basically the transaction that created the file contract and then the transaction that finalized the file contract. And it doesn't matter how many transactions or interactions between the hosts happen in between them. It just it kind of boils down to just those two, which helps keep the SIAN network as a whole nice and lightweight and clean. So that's kind of more into detail how the hosts and the renters or the hosts and the portals are connected on the SIAN network and how that portal then sends information to the hosts and how it receives that information from the hosts. You know, something we kind of glossed over or didn't really touch on very much, we dove into the technical stuff pretty pretty quickly, applications of uh, decentralization. Like, my sense is we don't really have many decentralized applications quite yet. We've Plenty of people have talked about, you know, a decentralized Uber or a decentralized Airbnb, but it just hasn't really existed yet. When do we get the decentralized internet and what are going to be the first applications? I think we would say the decentralized internet is here with Skynet and we and <laughs> and some of the first applications that we've seen have been things like Skyfeed, which is a, uh, basically a decentralized Twitter. Someone, another team in our community just released SkyChat, which is like a decentralized Discord server. And we have a lots. And so, you know, one of our big focuses has been building out our developer community to build out these applications to 
see where you know where the ecosystem goes with this and so you know people can start using skyfeed today and kind of posting like they would on twitter and interacting and following with people people can you know jump onto skychat and start making their own discord servers and you know having you know chats and channels and and things there and so you know the infrastructure for the decentralized internet is is really here with skynet and you know we are starting to see some of those early applications that are showing you know that it is possible to make a usable like you know nice ux like nice ui decentralized application for the decentralized internet but do do you have any ideas about like when we're going to see something and like what those first applications might be the ones that people like really want to use you know i'm i'm not quite sure what the application will be and i think that's something that we as like a community and and company have kind of been careful not to put in people's minds we like to keep talking about what are the potentials and like what are people using it for and like what they can do with it and kind of really seeing you know where it comes from the developers where it comes from the users like what are they asking for and what do they really want i think the somewhere that we see a big opportunity is going to be in that social media or content creating area for two reasons. One, because I think there's been a huge shift in in the, you know, just kind of mind share of, you know, everyone in terms of, you know, some of the issues with today's social media, you know, platforms and and really starting to struggle with the power that some of those platforms have. And so it looking for alternatives to that, we see there being a huge opportunity for a social media platform on Skynet to be that, you know, catalyst to kind of pull people to to the decentralized internet. And I think also too, for content creators, there's a huge opportunity there as well in that, you know, the example of a content creator on YouTube spends years generating content, generating videos, building a user base, and they're totally locked into YouTube. If YouTube cuts them off, like they have to start from zero again, or they, you know, they don't have their followers anymore, or that's not necessarily transferable to another platform. So content creation on Skynet, because the user owns it, and because in that case the content creator would own their content, you know, they can produce that content and share that content on the Skynet application that works for them. But again, all of their followers could be viewing and consuming their content on a totally different Skynet application. You know, they don't have to be on the same one. I think that's a, a really big opportunity for, for the decentralized internet and for Skynet to give that power back to content creators to be able to generate really pure, authentic content that isn't being degraded by the creator having to adjust their messaging to tweak you know, how the algorithm picks up their videos to be able to get it in front of the most people to maybe get a couple of dollars in advertising revenue. On Skynet, Skynet also allows for what we call recursive monetization. And so because every bit of data that is transferred on Skynet is paid for, it means that if we use the blog example, a writer writes a blog, they might use a bunch of stock photos and they might choose a specific font and then they have an application that they post the blog on and so you have the the blogger the photographer 
the designer of the font and you have the developer of the application. On Skynet, anytime that that blog is read, all four of those people can get a direct payment for that blog being read. And so there is that direct transfer of value between the users and content creators or value generators. So whether it's content creators, whether it's developers, whether it's designers, whether it's artists, whatever it may be, there's that direct transfer of value from the moment the value is consumed as opposed to relying on these tangential means of monetization that we use today with advertising. And I think there's, you know, that's a piece that is also going to be super powerful. And so we just need that, you know, sky feed or that decentralized medium to kind of come along and, and show people that, you know, you can, you know, get value directly for, or you can get paid directly for that value that you are providing people. I think it's a bright future. I think it's pretty interesting. I await the earliest decentralized applications and I think they'll be interesting to watch. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with you.